1: Hi, Craig. This is the part before the episode where we do a little blurb because it was the episode we recorded with someone else a while ago. Blurb. Blurb it up, baby. Uh, this is going to be an episode that we did with Ann Bogle from What Should I Read Next? Mm-hmm. Um, we were already on her show. We had a lot of fun. If you are new to us because of that show, welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew, what bo- we're, we're going to talk <laughs> Sorry, about it. I should I should sound more welcoming. Hi, welcome <laughs> to our podcast. Uh, and what book did we read for this episode, Andrew? We
2: all read Our Man in Havana by Graham Green.
1: Yeah, it's fun. We had a good time.
2: It was a fun... Yeah, there was a... when Whenever you add a third person, you add another variable for like, how much did everybody like the book? And it's less... <laughs> <laughs> it's less likely that you all be on the same page about it. But I think we had a fun conversation. I think the subject matter was fun. I think... Graham Greene is a talented writer, whether we you know, like this particular work or
1: not. I think we all came away with that assessment, mm-hmm. yes. yeah. Um, so I'm excited for you to listen to it. Uh, and if you uh, dig Anne, which I know that you will, you should go check out What Should I Read Next? or uh, Modern Mrs. Darcy. That's where you can find all her stuff. Andrew, we have a whole host of other books slated for August. We sure do. Can you tell me about them? Yeah, the first one is Our Man in Havana by Greg Reed. Nice. And then The Cat Mm -hmm. Who Saved Books by Sasuke Natsukawa. Mm -hmm. Wittgenstein's Mistress Mm -hmm. by David Markson. Mm -hmm. That was a fun one. Oh, boy. That was a fun one. Uh, My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante, which you're reading right now. Yes. And then we're going to close out the month with The Firm by John Grisham, our patron's choice Airport Boys episode for August.
2: Airport Boys? Did we explain Airport, Boy- it's I don't airport think- Boys? Airport Boys <laughs> because those- hard to are say book- Airport Boys. Airport Boys because you read the- their books that you buy at the airport to read on the plane. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Airport Boys. And then we're going to do a bonus episode for August. We're reading Beard on Bread- by james beard it's a cookbook baby we
2: were like what are, what haven't we done and we set it on cookbook
1: so we fit, we we thought we'd get really into the 2020 vibe and learn about bread
2: mm-hmm. i'm gonna get a, start, a starter <laughs> going probably
1: <laughs> and, i think it's
2: gonna go real good
1: and i'm excited to talk about james beard they named the awards after him so and i want to learn more yeah that's all we got uh enjoy the episode we got all the normal outro stuff at the end if you need it Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we have a guest. Guest, would you introduce yourself?
0: <laughs> Hi everybody, I'm Anne Vogel from What Should I Read Next and I am so excited to be here.
1: We're very excited we're, to have we're you. We're really excited to have you, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> this has been, as I think was in our inbox, we, this has been an Overdue collaboration we're recording this the week that you were so kind to have us on your show just dropped and people have been enjoying that episode, um, which is really great to hear. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about the book, uh, Our Man in Havana by Graham Greene. Um, if this is your first episode, we talk about a book that we've never read before. We, When we have guests on, we tend to stretch the premise a little bit where more of us will read the book than just one person um, but this is a book club where you don't have to read the books. That's for, for the listeners. Anyway, we have, to we have books. books. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: We've never yet had an episode where we've both shown up having not read the book. Whoa. We just had to make it up as we go, but... I don't know. If you're really going to have a book April club, April. it seems
0: like that would actually be true to people's reality sometimes.
2: Sure. Yeah. Like, I read I read the first chapter, and then I got really busy,
1: and... <laughs> I figured I would just read the middle, and then will you tell me what else happened. Yeah. But I wanted be- to come
0: see my friends.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, right?
0: I would listen to that. <laughs>
1: Um so before we get into the book, Anne, if folks are not familiar with your work with what should I read next and your other ventures, like what what should people know? Like, hey, we are we're having Anne on the show. What should they check out first?
0: Uh-huh. Well, I'm a new podcaster compared to Craig and Andrew, because we've only <laughs> been doing this since twenty sixteen. Um <laughs> I am what should I read next? We put that out with a great little team. Most weeks, we used to say every week, but we've been experimenting with format more and more over the years. Mm. Most weeks, a guest comes on and tells me three books they love, one book they don't, and what they've been reading lately, and I recommend what they should read next. So it's really all about discovery and conversation and helping people figure out Who they are as readers, what they're drawn to as readers, because you all know like having different opinions on books, reading books your patrons suggest that you end up hating (laughs) or reading books they hate that you love. (laughs) Like reading is really individual and lots of people don't really get satisfaction out of their reading lives until they figure that out. And they understand that they don't necessarily love the books all over Bookstagram or the books that like the smart people seem to love. But <laughs> you, you got to figure out what really works for you. And that's what we try to do on the show. So that's what should I read next. I've been blogging for a million years um, at ModernMrsDarcy.com. So that's also a thing. And I write books sometimes.
1: Yeah. The, the, what you were just saying about like books as an individual thing. Andrew, I think you and I have dealt with the like We're going to go through the books that we had to read for school. And like when you're school reading is just such a different experience from I will buy a thing I like or I'm interested Mm in.
2: Um, Yeah, it's I mean, you you learn how to find the genres that you that resonate with you. You learn that it is, in fact, okay to quit reading books that you have picked (laughs) up and don't like.
0: Yes, you do. And also so many people just died inside when you said that. Yes, we are hearty enthusiasts.
1: I saw someone. Yeah, and
2: it's like, and listen, it's not. It doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that you didn't like the book, and maybe it's the book's fault. I saw someone the other day yeah.
1: saying that they read like three books a week or something, but they include books that they don't finish. Like they they include books that they just kind of dabble in, and then bop out of.
0: You know what I just learned? I use I, I read a thousand books a year. If that's how we're going to uh, <laughs> to define it,
1: you've opinions on a thousand books a year. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Pages one
0: through eight, no
1: good. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, right. You also said that you write books. I know you have one coming out soon. Should folks know? What is that about? I mean,
0: it's not a book, book, Mm. but it's published. It has an ISBN and a copyright and all that. That counts? The past two little... you know, pages bound between covers I put out are reading journals for adults. That's called My Reading Life. And for kids, that's called My Reading Adventures. And one of, I don't want to get too granular for like people who don't care about journaling, but I do really think (laughs) you'll learn a lot about your reading life and about what you love and what you don't if you just write down what you read. Like, Google spreadsheet, in my journal, it, Pinterest, like just track what you read and you'll like get mm-hmm. a bigger picture of you. But it has cool little features that help like highlight some of the distinctions we were just talking about. Like there's a three-way rating system where you can identify like if you thought it was well-written, if you liked it, because those are different things and then giving it an overall <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: That sounds super cool. Um, just like a, Giving people who need a structure or are interested in a a structure to think about their own experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because
0: you don't don't need to write down much. But just like, (laughs) I don't, I wouldn't remember all the thousand books that I read last year Um, if I didn't, if I didn't write them down. And I don't put it in my journal unless I finish it Mm -hmm. or thought at one point early in the the book that I was going to. Because I'm not For afraid sure. to abandon a book at like the seventy five percent mark. It hurts a little to know you've invested Ooh. all that time. But I just Ooh, yeah, never yeah. want to begrudge uh, my readings. Yeah, I just I just don't wanna I just don't want to feel like I wasted time on a book. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: I, I hear that. I don't yeah. think we wasted time on this <laughs> book. Speaking of this episode that we're gonna start now, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean I'm glad I read it but Yeah <laughs> I'm really- have, I'm have really, anyone, really curious to hear what y'all thought.
1: Have anyone on this call read a Graham Greene before?
2: Never read Graham Greene before. And I did have to ask you, Craig, whether he was a third Green brother who I had not like. <laughs> you know, there's that third property brother who's like not a property brother. Like he is their brother, but he's not like part of their media empire. So no, Graham Greene, not related to John and Hank. He is his own guy. <laughs> no, he's got an E on the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how you
1: That's how you tell
2: Yeah, so uh, in conclusion No, I don't have any experience <laughs> With Graham Green prior to this
1: Alright,
0: so it's just me um, mm-hmm. I'm a little embarrassed To admit that this is a Colin Firth Made me do it situation So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. have read The End of the Affair And it is 100% because Colin Firth read the audiobook So I was scrolling to use <laughs> my credits years ago And thought, yeah, I'll take a chance On that, and now after reading our man in Havana which like we're going to get into it. I'm glad mm-hmm. I read it. Didn't love it um, mm-hmm. but I did really enjoy the book Colin Firth read me and I wonder if those two things are completely <laughs> related. <laughs> <laughs> I would They're different though.
1: Yeah I would listen to him read most things to me. It's short like mm-hmm. it's kind of like this mm-hmm. one
0: and that it goes it goes pretty quick but I know that um now I just lost the title. I know The End of the Affair is one of his serious novels. Yeah. And Our mm-hmm. Man in Havana is one of his entertainments. His entertainments, So they're not yeah. quite the same, <laughs> but I did, yeah, that Colin Firth, that might be significant.
1: All mm-hmm. right. We'll, we'll get into how Green classifies his work in just a second. This was one of our Patreon recommendations, actually. Um, so I want to share that. This is from Leighton. Thank you, Leighton, who... Uh, Sent us a nice note about discovering us while they were living abroad in Scotland, um, which is cool. Uh, And we've gotten notes from people before where like, and I'm sure you have as well, Anne, where, you know, you change your life situations or you're away from home and then like a podcast or a book or something kind of gets into your life. So we're always grateful to hear that. They recommended any novel by Graham Greene. My personal favorite is Our Man in Havana, which spoofs on most Cold War spy narratives and follows a vacuum salesman as he's pulled into the world of espionage. Or is he? I think you guys would have fun (laughs) with this one. Thanks for the hard work you do putting episodes out each week. I like the, or is he? Or is he? He definitely is. (laughs) Um, Andrew, do you want to start us in on Mr. Green, not yeah, of the brothers?
2: Graham Green with an E,
1: <laughs> an <laughs> English novelist and journalist who was
2: born in 1904 and died in 1991. Um So stuff to know about Graham Greene. He went to Oxford, graduated in uh, 1925. He worked as a journalist. He converted to Catholicism uh, to marry his wife. His wife, Vivian uh, Daryl Browning, who I guess is an authority on dollhouses or or was. Oh, Which is kind of... I (laughs) didn't know that. I always like when a, uh, you know, when an old white guy authors spouse has a blue name in wikipedia so i can go and find out what her deal (laughs) because it's it's usually usually either she was actually responsible for all the genius of the white guy author's work or she had a really off the beaten path yeah (laughs) yes her own her whole own separate thing going on so um His first novel was The Man Within in 1929. And he started, you know, he had a book of poetry that he wrote while he was in school called Babbling April that did not do very well. But The Man Within did well enough that he managed to work as a full time novelist after this. Still did like freelance journalism and some traveling and and, uh, some nonfiction, but was a writer from pretty early on. Our Man in Havana was published in 1958. This is based partly on his experience in the 1940s working for MI6, which is the British Intelligence Agency. I know about that from James Bond movies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was recruited um, in 1941, I think, during World War War II by his sister Elizabeth. uh, And he worked there during the war, uh, was friends and co-workers with somebody who ended up being a Soviet double agent. (laughs) neat uh and his like so the the book is written about these like it's based on these german agents who he learned about who gave their handlers misinformation to confuse their handlers and also to pad their own like the agent's own salaries much in the way that (laughs) that uh happens in this book uh, there's particularly a Spanish double agent named Garbo who claimed to control this huge ring of of agents in England and ended up being all made up. Um, and yeah, it was adapted into a movie, 1959, that starred Alec Guinness and a bunch of other people. Mainly Alec Guinness is the one who caught my eye. Yes, uh, Craig, we've talked about how I haven't really seen him in things other than Star Wars.
1: <laughs> Which he would probably be upset at most he of He would probably for. be pretty upset about, honestly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but that's just that's me that's my movie diet it's not very uh, I don't want to watch a lot of films well uh, but Craig you had said you found a review of our man in Havana I don't know if there's other stuff about Graham Green's life that you wanted to touch sure. on sure
1: I, I want to use the review I think to kick off our discussion in a second okay it I'm might save it might mm-hmm. mash up with uh, where Ann is starting from I'm not sure I'm inferring that um, but the other thing about him is like we talked about the entertainments versus serious books like he has this yes. reputation as this you know serious catholic author um where a lot of his novels are about kind of like characters wrestling with religious themes and stuff like that and then he's got these quote-unquote entertainments where he is just writing fun thrillers he's very cinematic um you know he he some of these ideas start from screenplays. I think this book may have even started from a screenplay idea in the 40s. Yeah, it
2: did start from a screenplay that didn't end up getting made. The movie later was a different thing. Yeah. Um,
1: And then when this goes on to become the film, like he writes it, you know, while the Cuban revolution is happening, essentially. uh, And And then... And Castro
2: didn't, (laughs) like... Castro didn't like this book because he didn't think it was uh, critical enough of the pre-Castro regime yeah. in Cuba.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean Castro once because... gave Graham Greene a painting. Mm-hmm. They were they had met ever. Um, yeah, and he did let them shoot the film there. Like he, mm-hmm. they were doing, um, like initial scouting, and then they left, and then the revolution completed, quote unquote, and then a few months <laughs> later they were back making the movie i think i saw something that when the film was released there's a note at the front of it that says like set before the recent revolution or something just to like let people (laughs) know and then of course you know a few years later we're in the the bay of pigs stuff and the cuban missile crisis so Mm -hmm. it is i think that note about castro not liking it or not thinking it was serious enough like
2: well, just like it was it was focused on the absurdity of MI6 yeah. and not the, like how bad things were in Cuba before Castro came along and fixed everything. <laughs> I was just astounded right.
0: by Green's personal history and involvement here. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I did some research before and after yeah. I read The End of the Affair about, and thinking about that novel and his mindset and what he was trying to communicate, that leads you like strictly to his intellectual beliefs his personal philosophy his tortured relationship with Catholicism like nowhere did it talk about MI6 like I had no idea <laughs> and I'd read about Kim Philby because Ben McIntyre has this series of amazing nonfiction books about basically spies in Britain in the 20th century and one mm-hmm. of them is A Spy Among Friends and it's about it's about Philby but like that they were pals for a really long time like I just had no idea but I was reading after I finished Our Man in Havana about how Green was like trying to lampoon MI6 and make fun of Mm -hmm. American intelligence and British intelligence and other like shadowy intelligence organizations Um, Mm -hmm. and he felt like okay I made this a satire and focused on that inanity but like didn't focus on and I think this is a bad thing the I I in this case am Graham Greene obviously um, <laughs> <laughs> but the Green like regretted that he didn't portray like the true horrors of the Batista regime because that yeah. wasn't the point of the book and he's mm, like mm-hmm. maybe I did mm-hmm. like the world a disservice but I was just really impressed and like kind of arched eyebrows about <laughs> his his history With these various regimes, like I had no idea his relationship with Castro and his sympathies with, um, like communists, like through the eighties. No, mm -hmm.
1: and and he has he has a number of other books that are like places on the brink of upheaval. Like that's a thing that he was interested in for a few years, in particular. Yeah, Um, that's so
0: fascinating. Like I kept coming across um, various like reviewers and critics and historians historian saying that he was weirdly prescient about mm-hmm. uh, global happenings like his book mm-hmm. oh, which one was it um, The Quiet American like mm. kind mm-hmm. of uh, foreshadowed the very real like disaster in Vietnam and yeah. then this one written in 1958 during the Batista regime like by the time people were reading it like the Castro revolution had happened just yeah. mm-hmm. what in the world <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well and he th- there is some stuff in here about you know about mysterious machines and and construction that is happening in cuba in in ways that sort oh, of yeah. uh foreshadow the cuban missile crisis that happens mm-hmm. in what well, is
1: 1962 63 62 yeah um yeah so but <laughs> I'm then also guy, but, but but some of that stuff also feels very like the last 30 years of U.S. involvement in the Middle East, too. And there's like a game of telephone that got played with this book where he came up with an idea based on something in the 40s, those double agents in Mm -hmm. Spain that you were talking about, Andrew. And then to satirize what was going on in the 50s, he just kind of transposes it. And then that gets to what you were saying, Anne, where like he isn't writing about the current happenings in Cuba as directly as he is. Like, let me... Lampoon all The people in other Countries that are like using this place as A proxy uh, for Their own conflicts which is like a little Different from if he Had said it in World War II Because then everybody's on their own home Turf I think the diff the distance Between uh, Cuba And all of the places where people are Sending these agents is like Crucial to what he is interested In yeah it Um, did
0: feel very Much like a world apart
1: For sure.
2: Craig, this week's episode is about spies, Mm. and spies are generally not trying to like broadcast their presence in a in a given community of people. But if you're not a spy, you might want to broadcast your presence and let people know who you are and where you are and what you're doing. Uh. And if that explains you, you want to know about Squarespace because ah. you got to have a website.
1: You do have to. What if your your website could also be a counterintelligence operation? Yeah, it if, could be.
2: Or it could just be a front. It could make <laughs> like you could be a vacuum store or like a laundromat or something. and But you could actually be a spy agent agency.
1: Or you could just be a regular person abiding by all laws who needs a website.
2: Yeah. And who isn't doing any sort of intelligence or counterintelligence on anybody. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites (laughs) in case that wasn't clear. They give you beautiful templates and drag and drop tools. They make it easy for any idiot to make a website. Yeah, whether they are as hapless and inexperienced as the the hero in this week's book or not. Yep. Uh, you <laughs> there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. You get twenty four seven award winning customer support. All kinds of good stuff about Squarespace. Here are a few specifics that I like. Uh, you can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns. Create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo. So your messaging is consistent and effective. Nothing more important to a spy agency than having a good logo. I've always said this. You know this about me. Uh, You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo and gain powerful insights into who's spying on your content and how they're interacting with it with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience, geography, and more. And you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. Uh, They offer one-click data portability. So if you do need to go, if if you're being extradited
1: somewhere. If you get burned.
2: Yeah, if you get burned, you can pick up all your data. You can go wherever you want. (laughs) Uh, So if this sounds good to you, go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website
1: or domain. Well, let's get into the book. I have this review here that was written in, you know, 1958 by James Kane. I don't know who that is. He wrote some other. He wrote a book called Mildred Pierce, apparently, according to this review. I don't know. If you um, say so. Yeah, that's <laughs> usually when you get when you get here. That's usually how it is. Um what does it say? say? He kind of outlines the basic premise that there's this guy who is a vacuum salesman, um, warm old. He has a daughter who has outrageous spending habits, and he gets recruited into some shadowy work for the British government. And to kind of satisfy his financial woes, he, he goes along with it and starts making stuff up. Um, This is what Kane had to say. Say what you will, this is a distinguished narrative idea worthy of its distinguished author. Had he taken a walk around the block, decided to believe his own tale, and told it with simple conviction, it might have been hair-raising, all the more so from his personal knowledge of its background. Instead, he has used tricks and achieved mostly unreality. His characters lack bone, (laughs) flesh, and blood and only occasionally seem lifelike. They are dumb when convenience requires, smart when convenience requires, rarely showing initiative on their own. And he kind of just goes on to call out one or two specific spots he didn't like and says that it kind of misses the mark for him as a Graham Greene fan.
0: I just can't believe this
1: novelist has tricked me. This novelist (laughs) tricked me with his fiction. Or are you gonna say, Anne?
0: <laughs> well, first of all, the vacuum cleaner salesman being a fake spy is unrealistic. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just read the short Kirkus review from 1958 that mm. called it a genial form of nonsense and said yes. Green is not at his best. I mean, huh. but like, right. I don't think we're saying these early critics were right. Like, it can be really interesting to go back and see what yep. early critics have thought about um, novels that are now beloved. So that's mm-hmm. not necessarily, like, the verdict. But it is an interesting jumping-off point.
1: Yes. Did that? Sure. Did anything mm-hmm. in there resonate with either of y'all's reaction to the book? And then we can kind of go into the plot as necessary. But just initial takes on the style, on whether or not there's enough substance. <laughs> I mean, okay. So I wanted to...
2: There <laughs> is a point in the middle of the book where... Uh, Wormold, this guy has been making up these these agents who he's handling, and you know, sending back these very detailed, very made-up reports of his uh, his work to the people in England. But there's a point in the middle where suddenly one of the agents who Wormold thinks that he had made up is apparently real. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that the book was about to get really like silly and a little magical mm. and the people would just kind of exist as he had written <laughs> as he as he had come up with them because it, th- there's I really liked the like Wormold's a very buttoned down very like mousied sort of guy like he's kind of a non-entity in the lives of pretty much everybody, including people, you know, the guy, the one guy who worked for him and his daughter and his like one doctor friend, he's just kind of drifting along. His wife is, has left him like several years ago. He doesn't have a lot sort of going on, but he finds, it seems like he finds a sort of power or freedom in just like, just like starting to make stuff up for this secret agent role. And I won't really, (laughs) I was hoping that, you know, in addition to him coming to life, these creations of his would also come to life and he would have to deal with the aftermath of that. Now, that's not exactly what happened. But if I were to punch this book up or to write, you know, to write a copycat book that was my own thing, mm-hmm. it would definitely be literally the the fictional agents coming to life.
1: Your Man in Havana by Andrew My Cunningham. Man in Havana, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I'd read that. I, my brain kept snagging on the, the books and the, the other plot lines I had read in the past that reminded mm. me of Graham Greene. Like, there is a novel that's coming out in the U.S., I think later, uh, it's later in August. It's called Diary of a Void. It's a Japanese novel in translation. Um, but in it, like, a woman pretends a certain thing to be true. And like, Andrew, you get your storyline that you're looking for. Although there are no (laughs) spies in this book. And there's a book that came out this spring. It was in, it's in the summer reading guide. If you all want to learn more about it, but it's called the patron saint of second chances. And it is about a vacuum repairman in small town Italy who makes up this ridiculous plot to save his town. that's completely 100% false, but he almost like wills it into being just by telling everyone it's so. And clearly Graham Greene is not getting his ideas from Emiyagi Yagi, the contemporary Japanese writer, or Christine Simon, who just had her book <laughs> come out in the spring. But I was thinking like, oh, is everything old new again? Is there something inherently, um, a little bit comical about someone who works in the field of vacuums. Like, <laughs> do we all long? Is he saying that there's magical thinking involved here? I. These are things that kept me occupied as a reader. Is there something? <laughs> I was struggling
1: that, a little bit in places. Is there something magical? At magically thinking about like, well, this time I'll get it all clean. This, you know, mm. I won't ever. I'll just have a vacuum that is good enough to clean everything for good in my house. I won't ever have to clean anything ever again. He's trying to sell better vacuums. There's like a vacuum arms race that's happening in this book between the multiple companies that are selling vacuums Mm -hmm. in Cuba. Uh, I know
2: one of the vacuum companies is called Fast Cleaners, P-H-A-S-T-K-L-E-A-N-E-R-S. I don't remember what the other one is. But they're selling like the atomic vacuum. I know.
0: The newest, fanciest (laughs) models are all atomic this and atomic that. So and,
1: and that's all kind of front loaded in the book so you do have this like he is comically insignificant as like I think what you were kind of getting to Andrew is he's this Yeah, he's
2: kind of a hapless hapless guy. It, Doesn't not one hap to his
0: name. <laughs> Uh, but So I read the Penguin Classics edition that has an intro mm-hmm. by Christopher Hitchens, who had some interesting things to say about the names in this book. But for okay. Jim Wormhold, he was like, yeah, that just nothing about this guy inspires confidence.
1: Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's got his, his daughter, Millie, who is a mm-hmm. devout Catholic, but also uh, very, you know, Eager to spend money that they don't have. Like, she bought a horse, is like the precipitating event. I
0: know. Like, one moral of this story could be when your daughter says she wants a pony, just say no. Just say no. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, no pony. Especially if she says, "Well, there's a like a horrible policeman, a horrible corrupt policeman who wants to
1: buy me a pony." Mm-hmm. Yes. is that okay? Mm-hmm. Is that, would that be okay? <laughs> <laughs> hi, hi, I want to this this uh, this brutal policeman who is based on a real brutal policeman wants to marry me. Will you buy me the pony instead?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and some of the like extra grisly uh, details were totally real. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, inspired by real life. Also, Mm -hmm. he keeps assuring me that he'll like pay for it and keep it and everything. When he drives me around in his car, and I'm only 17, and he's a yeah grown man.
1: Yeah, yes, yep, yes. That is Captain Segura, who we're talking about. Who is who's he based on? What's the guy's name? Um, Ernesto or Esteban Ventura Novo, which was an infamous torturous police captain in the Batista regime. Um, but the, I don't know, Segura gets like, he, he's bad. He's a bad guy.
2: He has a, like a cigarette case made of human skin, Craig. He's a bad guy. Yeah,
1: but, but Andrew, it's made out of a bad guy's skin. So it's okay. Don't, don't you remember?
2: Bad according to who? Bad according to the evil policeman? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm going to need another source on that. Multiple
1: (laughs) wrongs eventually make a right Mm -hmm. wallet is how that goes. um, yikes Ooh. okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 new topic quick <laughs> um,
1: so like what the the book opens with his he's got this friendship with uh the doctor Hasselbacker who mm-hmm. is a German doctor living in mm-hmm. Cuba and they're just like
2: Howling around, drinking, drinking daiquiris before noon, which I mean, you know, Listen. everybody's living their best life in Havana. <laughs> uh, it, the the place where you could go to get just free, like bottomless free daiquiris.
1: Sounds good to me. I mean,
0: so Christopher Hitchens in his introduction says, OK, Graham Greene has his entertainments. He has his serious novels, but I'm going to propose a new subcategory, and that is whiskey fiction, because this one is drowning <laughs> in booze. Like, there is no setting in this story in which people are not imbibing with great frequency and quantity, and, like, it's extremely important to the character of the book.
1: Isn't, yeah. it, isn't it? Zachary's <laughs> all day. Is it Wormhold mm-hmm. who is the one, like, collecting, like, novelty-sized whiskey bottles, the whole book?
0: Yes, he gets his hundredth milestone.
1: That's it, right. Yeah,
0: around around the middle of the book,
1: which I didn't expect that to pay off in his like final scene with Captain Segura, where they're playing his checkers gambit, checkers yeah. with whiskey bottles, which was or drafts. Is that how it's pronounced? The British version of the game. It's not a different game; they just call it something different. The- <laughs> Draughts?
2: I do really. I did really like that it was checkers and not chess. Like like we've. You know let, <laughs> let's let let checkers be It's own thing well
0: chess is a game For those of true intellect and that is not what we're Dealing with here I think <laughs> is 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 it's what green is Trying to radio about,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So what did you think Anne, of how he Gets enlisted Into the the secret Service
0: okay So I finished the book And I went back to think about the Book And went, I'm why again like I remember the pony, <laughs> and I remember Henry Hawthorne, the British yeah. guy who recruits him, walking mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. the vacuum shop. But I am really struggling to recall why Henry Hawthorne walked through those doors. I mean, do y'all have anything?
2: I mean, it's just that that Wormold's like also British,
1: isn't it? I think it's it's a British store that can become a front. I think it is like a pure thing of happenstance where it is like here's a guy, he is British. So, we can probably recruit him, and a vacuum salesman will have to talk to a lot of different people. That's mm. right.
0: He does say that. You can sell vacuums to embassies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm.
1: we can get you into places, we can get you meeting people.
2: <laughs> I don't remember if Hawthorne brings up Millie's, like, dalliance with this evil policeman. He must. He might. Because he's yeah. been, like, tailing. I don't know him. if that's, like, a leverage point or, or something.
1: I for, did. I yeah. was struck by the like spy trope of they go into a bathroom and like have a conversation with water running (laughs) and then like have to wait while another guy uses the bathroom to continue their conversation. (laughs) If that like that to me is like, oh it's this type of book. Like it is you know, people who are in over their head very, very quickly and are not aware of how the game is played, but the people playing the game are like here are all the fun rules. Here are all the like secret moves that we have to do. Hawthorne is like, I don't know, it's very trope it it, it serves the book, I think, that it's very tropey spy behavior. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise he can't lampoon it, I guess.
0: And it is over the t- yeah, completely over the top. Like they're in that bathroom with the water running for a really long time. Really and then they long have time, really long time. Like, wait, do I need to change my pants? No, that wouldn't be practical. Well, people even and it's just like, oh <laughs> You poor <laughs> fools. You have no idea what's happening. You, they hadn't seen enough spy movies. They just don't know what to do. This was before Bond, and I think that's really the problem. They had no model. Sure. Yeah, yeah
2: nobody has any nobody has any preconceived notions about how spies should act. Though I mean they do get the secrecy and the drinking. Right? <laughs> so, you know, some ingredients are in place mm-hmm. already. Um, but yeah, we get these little um, interludes in like the home office in London, oh, uh, usually with Hawthorne and the guy who he's reporting to. And this part of the book, I did work for me because it helped. So, you know, Wormhold's kind of a pathetic figure that yeah. we've discussed already. And he's been recruited as a spy and Hawthorne is like, he doesn't know that Wormhold's lying and he hasn't recruited him with the idea that he'll be like an unreliable agent, but we do see him in his own way, sort of letting his boss draw his own conclusions about Remold and his life and his capabilities mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that makes Hawthorne look like a better spy recruiter, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's that, there's that whole run where Hawthorne's boss is like inventing all of this, like, He's extrapolated from you know he's a he's a machine salesman to him being like this titan of industry.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You find out he's never used the word vacuum with his bosses. Yeah. He, yes. Yes. yes okay. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, it's great. And and what, what they're having him like encode reports using a book that is tales from Shakespeare. Not like to your point, Anne, about it. Like we can read a little bit into it being checkers, not chess. I think we can read a little bit into it not being an actual book of Shakespeare, but being like summaries of the tales instead. Ra- you know, it's it's all like a rung lower on the stereotypical smart guy ladder. Like everybody's just kind of working <laughs> with uh, insufficient information all the time.
0: It's derivatives of derivatives.
1: Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> I like and- that observation. And so he's oh, like wait, I found
2: I found Oh go ahead. Andrew. I found the the perfect description of Wormhold. I just want to read it real quick and then you can get back to the point that you were making. Uh it all it always seems strange to Wormhold that he continued to exist for others when he was not there. Oh man. <laughs> I I like do a, th- how much of a non entity that there he is. There are one liners in
1: this book that I really like. That is a strength for me. If I were like putting strengths and weaknesses in columns here, I would put like The ability of this book to show up with a good one liner every once in a while, Um, like the description of Captain Segura as Captain Segura squeezed out a smile. It seemed to come from the wrong place, like toothpaste (laughs) when the tube splits like (laughs) I'm hard to that. That can mean like five different things and none of them are good. Like that tells me a lot. Yeah. Uh, He had the ill humor. This is these are just
2: from my highlights. Just some one liners. He had the ill humored face of a man who is always in the right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Describing somebody who has died, it was as though nothing at all had ever happened to it. An unborn face, which is kind of haunting, even though this is one of the entertainments and not one of the serious books. Well, and and
0: yet,
1: yeah. Go ahead. Okay.
0: Well, I got. (laughs) I've got some, and I feel like I've been pretty hard on Graham Greene here. So let me say, like I did appreciate um, some of the some of the points he was making, and how the story, like though, like comical and satire, does really underscore that. Um, there's a William Golding review quote that's context here, like in talking about Graham Greene's mm. legacy. Because, like, some of his books have not aged well. Like, the second sentence of this book, I was like, ooh, okay, this is what people are talking about. <laughs> yeah, <But laughs> yeah. Just to throw in a whole. it was. Sure, lot
2: yeah. Once.
0: But William Golding awful, said.
2: Awful early in a book to hit the N-word, I'll say. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He will be read and remembered as the ultimate chronicler of 20th century man's consciousness and anxiety. And like that anxiety of like the age they're living in just really there was such a through line that led to some really great one liners like um, reality in our century. It's not something to be faced like that's why they drink. That's why they're (laughs) okay with walking out of the room and you like basically fail to exist. Um, We live in an atomic age. Push a button. Piff bang. And, um, don't learn from experience. <laughs> it ruins our peace and our lives.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there was one that Captain that's Segura good. said. um it is a great he's talking about I think it's in the riff where he's explaining all the torture that's been going on. and he outlines the whole concept of like who is and isn't in the torturable class, yeah, in the society and all of that stuff is like re- kind of has a depth to it that is a little separate from the rest of the book. But then he also says, it is a great danger for everyone when what is shocking changes. Mm -hmm. And you can read that a bunch of – I can read that ways I don't like that are like very reactionary and conservative. I can also read it in like, you know, don't become numb to awful things. Like that one really stuck out to me Mm -hmm. as well. And it's coming out of Segura, who is the toothpaste smile man who I'm supposed to not like. so.
2: (laughs) Well, and there's this other bit where he's talking to Hasselbacker, the the is that his name? The, yeah, the older mm-hmm. German doctor guy. Who doesn't doesn't he have um, like
1: a costume from like his army costume from World War One or yeah, something? So yeah, right. he's, he's, he's really talking something.
2: about he's talking about how Wormhold is like too young to have ever known peace, and mm. like this this is a satire, so it doesn't you don't. The, the book isn't about like the, the still fresh and ever present, like fear of the atomic bomb. Yeah. <laughs> but it is an important background to remember is here's this like old guy who's my understanding of like pre world war one Germany is that it was not like the best place on earth to, nope. to be, but he's remembering this fondly because it was before these two giant wars It was before the invention of the atomic bomb. And like, Wormhole's just never known peace like that because he's he's never not existed during this like super tumultuous, <laughs> horrifying time in, in world affairs. Yep.
1: It, that yeah. that part, that vein of the book, Andrew, I think I said this to you when I started reading it, like hit some Vonnegut notes for me that I liked, like the kind of stare into the despair of it and then laugh at something instead of cry at it of Mm -hmm. this book like hit what I like about Vonnegut even though it is definitely doing something different it is sillier Mm -hmm. in some ways and maybe less and and less silly in other it's like less absurd though yes yes yeah
0: I haven't spent any time or thought with Dr. Strangelove in like 20 plus years Mm -hmm. but that kept coming Mm -hmm. to mind as I was reading Sure. sure
1: sure 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 yeah um well, we, we got on this tangent while we were also talking about the, the people back in London. And I agree with you, Andrew. I had the similar reaction to when we saw the home office uh, treating him with such seriousness. Like, that was a part that, like, oh, this is kind of what the book is. I, was, I wasn't was sure what the book was going to be until that scene um, for me. And then that that escalates because he's just been sending back these reports. And then he takes a trip... I think this is after he gets like stopped by those cops who beat him up and then mm-hmm. you know the the seriousness of what he's doing and the precarity of his situation is is like, like heightened so he's like oh well I have to justify what I'm doing here let me make up something even more outlandish so far I've just been taking people's names from the phone book and like putting them in my reports but now let me tell them that there are Big weapons, big <laughs> hmm and what? Well, what can I, I? I'll send them some sketches. I guess I'll sketch my vacuum parts.
2: Well, because he's he's got what? Like a, he's got like half a dozen agents who he's made up, and they're all being paid like this whatever amount of pesos. But once he. Would like to send Millie to school. And so he is going to need to concoct some more expensive lies, which is (laughs) another place where this like escalation is coming from. Yes. Um, And then, yeah, they get sent back to the home office and home office guys like, whoa, this is I mean, I guess this looks a little like it could be a big vacuum cleaner, but this is really impressive stuff. We need to help this guy staff up and send him like an assistant and a bunch of other resources.
0: And I love how it just continues to build Mm -hmm, because it isn't long after that before they're like, well, I mean, the British government wouldn't tell us this if they didn't believe it. So clearly it's true. And then it just like filters down through. That felt a little that part holds up
1: let's just say that. yeah yeah, sure yeah (laughs) Yeah, the the like the feedback loop of an individual guy's reasons to lie perpetuating a government's reasons to lie or just never investigate if they were wrong um like that back and forth of the book works Um,
2: yeah like the the part of the part of the book that works for me is like escalating absurdity like i I enjoy that stuff the character stuff like a little less so just because most of them are so one-dimensional i mean you have like this this evil policeman who's got a wallet of human skin and like you don't really
0: (laughs) this is not a book you read for character development yeah yeah you'll be sorely disappointed
2: (laughs) yeah and like that's that's the foundation i guess for an interesting character but then he just like that's kind of all there is to him
1: what do we um, think about beatrice so then the, the book enters a new phase where the home office sends him this secretary beatrice who is supposed to help him now that he has more work to do and the absurdity here is well she's taking all of his lies for truth and so wants to meet all of his agents um but i guess they fall in love i don't know
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes my reaction exactly
1: <laughs> she's interest- I she is interesting in so much as what she does to the like ratcheting up of stakes I don't know that I found her particularly compelling
2: well you just like you recognize from a hundred miles off that oh like the, the pretty youngish woman who's being sent to Cuba to help this hapless unmarried guy like obviously they're going to she's going to be a love interest for him. And then it just kind of happens that way. And there's not much by way of like subversion or like interesting riffing. Like the book does play off of expectations in fun ways sometimes, but this is not one of the areas where it does that.
0: There were like a funny scene or two that she was party to, like at a certain point, Wormold decides it's time to come clean. And so he's like Beatrice. Let me tell you everything. And she's just like, yep, yep, taking notes. Okay, it's not real. And he's like, no, it's not real. And she's like, I know you said that. It's not real. And he's like, but you, it's not real. So I, en- I enjoyed that scene. It, but that, yes, she was a, she was a stock character.
1: That that was the most surprising part of her to me, and was that beat where I was waiting for the reveal scene, because he'd built it up. Like, mm-hmm. coming clean was going to be such a big deal well, he keeps waiting for the reveal scene. Yes, there a true. Of,
2: there are a couple of scenes where he's like, Okay, here it comes. I'm I'm gonna be discovered as a fraud. And then they're like, We're giving you a more stuff. Here's yep. a teaching job. Like it's <laughs>
1: And the fact that she is just like, Okay, yeah, that's fine. I don't really I think this is all kind of stupid. Like she her she has a clarity that I think is closer to probably where green is starting the book in the first place which is like this whole apparatus is kind of silly and ripe for misbehavior and she doesn't seem particularly invested in perpetuating it or taking it seriously
0: actually you know what like she is an agent she actually i i think the book shows us that she knows what she's doing she
1: does know what she's mm-hmm. doing yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True, but, true but she is
0: following orders from people who don't have a clue like yes. It just yes Who are not aligned with reality. Okay. I, um, weirdly want to talk about Jane Eyre for a minute. Okay. 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 So there's two separate Jane Eyre references in the book. And I was like, what is happening here? So first Millie talks about how, don't worry, dad, if I want to have a pony when I get older and you can't pay for it, I'll just be a governess like Jane Eyre. It's cool. But then, oh gosh, it's my page 94. We're in part three, the end of chapter one. Um, He's talking to Beatrice and she's saying to him, you've done so great so far that like your bosses don't want to see you risk blowing your cover. Like it would be really Mm -hmm. bad for you to be blown. And she says, I'd hate to see you blown. Half blown would be all right. And a half blown rose is totally a Jane Eyre thing. I'm wondering, is that coincidence or is he referencing something? I just don't (laughs) understand. But she says, half blown would be all right. And he says, I don't understand. And she says, I was thinking of roses, which is the Jane Eyre thing.
1: Oh, so a little sure. bit, hmm.
0: is there a Jane Eyre thing? But also, like here, we're at the like 40% mark in the book. She says, I'd hate to see you blown. Half blown would be all right. His cover. And like, isn't that basically where we end up?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. They're, and they're all kind of okay with it. I also like that, that that doesn't really mean any... Like what does... Half blown means nothing. <laughs> it doesn't...
2: I guess it, it like, it means that he is... Out to people who are willing to see it, and then to the stupid's who are running Mi6. <laughs> I, guess. I I don't think there's an amount of. I don't think you could be blown enough for them to realize what's going on
0: once <laughs> I, they've like, think, made their mind. I think that's up what I'm thinking. You. Like yeah. as yeah. much as he has tried to say, like I'm pulling back the curtain. This is the real thing. Like this is the truth. They're like, well, yeah, but. Well, and, yeah, and but not there's... really. Yeah, but we're going to give you this OBE. Yeah, but, but we're going to make you a teacher to teach spies how to spy. Like, yeah, but not really.
1: <laughs> not really. <laughs> well, and they they totally buy into him. And this kind of sets off the back half of the book when that guy Raul gets killed, who is just a, the the opposition or the other side, I think they call it, which is I don't think ever explicitly named as the Soviets, but that's kind of what it's supposed to be
2: i mean just communism yeah
1: yeah that's true um they kill a guy who's supposed to be an agent uh or something and so then mi6 is like oh well they're killing his people he knows what's up that's okay great we have to take him seriously uh and then there's an attempt on his life which is very comical maybe depending on how you feel about what happens about poisoning animals. Yeah, know? it's supposed to be very silly, I think.
0: and ev- Well, even before that, when they find out about the plot, Wormald's like, ah, they're trying to kill me. Like, give me the details. This is kind of personal to me. And they're like, <laughs> no, you don't understand. This is the best thing ever. Like, yes. if they're trying to poison you, you are on to something great. Just keep doing what you're doing.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that part felt very kind of like get smart or something where like somebody is... That was he is trying to convince them that this is real and they're like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. I love that Overdue is like a spoiler all the time show. That is not the what yes. should I read next vibe. So this is really fun. So so let's say while we can't read it, like if you don't want to read a book where the dog dies, the dog yeah. is poisoned instead. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. I think it's supposed to be funny and it's also definitely grotesque.
1: Well, it's very grotesque and the the review that I read. <laughs> earlier. Oh my gosh. He's he zeroes he in on it. And he's like, mm-hmm. he's, you know, as how outlandish and silly this book is. Um, and he says, when for a climax, a dog wanders into the dining room, laps, the whiskey old spilled dies and thus gives warning of poison. Things simply fall apart. I never saw a dog drink hard liquor and don't believe this one did. However, I do believe he could read and had had a look at the script to know what he should do.
0: Okay. Somehow, when you said a review, that was not the tenor I was (laughs) expecting.
1: This guy tells a little story about a dog that can
2: read. (laughs) I love that. That was the problem. Uh Like this, this book. I was a little iffy on this book, but then a dog drank whiskey. (laughs) Dogs don't drink whiskey
1: earlier and you mentioned the like some of his other writing guy anywhere near like magical realism yeah. like oh, anything
2: no. where <laughs> yeah.
1: um, you mentioned earlier that you know the strain from his other books of like an intellectual philosophy and kind of his own greens like worldview and things yeah. there was a beat in this book where I got a sense of of that relative to this material I think so it's after the one agent has killed his friend Uh, Hasselbacher and he is making up his mind to kill that guy uh, and he's like coming up with a plan to do it And he says to himself, at least if I could kill him, I would kill for a clean reason. I would kill to show that you can't kill without being killed in your turn. I wouldn't kill for my country. I wouldn't kill for capitalism or communism or social democracy or the welfare state. Who's welfare? I would kill Carter because he killed Hasselbacher. A family feud had been a better reason for murder than patriotism or the preference for one economic system over another. If I love or if I hate, let me love or hate as an individual. And like that. I don't know what when the book is at its most serious. I think it is the like we're all kind of bemoaning the way that people are play things in this like larger game of checker mm-hmm. this global checkers sure. game. That is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like right at the <laughs> this
1: global end. game of papamatic trouble. <laughs> uh trouble. Yeah. And she doesn't. I think Beatrice gives like a similar speech to the um to the MI6 people when they're like bringing her and Wormhold in to like punish them for what happened. And she kind of says like, this is all bogus. Um, But yeah, that that's, that's the, the most like a person that Wormhold felt to me.
0: (laughs) Okay. So simultaneously, I felt like some of those passages felt really profound and really sus. I live with a 12 year old. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So like, I know, I know about sus The very end
1: Everyone He's, in this book is sus. <laughs> this is the truth. At the yeah. very
0: end, he says there's something greater than one's country. And he talks about the alphabet soup of leagues and nations and blah, blah, mm. blah. But, but really, like, the leaders say they want peace and freedom. But what kind of freedom? You want your careers. Like, that feels like... Mm. That feels like the people who don't know what's happening, like calling the shots and who's really being served. And so that you could Mm -hmm. be like, oh, that's meaningful. But Mm -hmm. also he has these passages about um, like how we'd be much better off if we were looking to act out of love for like individual people instead of countries. Like would the world be in the mess it is if we were loyal to love and not to countries? And part of me wants to go like, oh, that's really – that's meaningful but also like this was written in 1958 and after it was written like we now know that he was a huge apologist for castro and he mm-hmm. had some really dicey relationships with the communists and was apologist for a lot of behavior that today would behavior how about political viewpoints that today we're like oh mm-hmm. those did not serve the world or individuals well <laughs> there's no love of individual people when you talk like that really And we know that he was an apologist for and defender of Kim Philby, who was later, after this book was written, revealed to be a Soviet double agent. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't... Ugh, it's just really. I know that you all have talked before about like how much is the book, how much is the person. Like, should our knowledge of the author, like, how much should that impact our reading of the book? And I feel like with this more than most, like, there is no extricating one from the other. So, on what should I read next? We would say this is a really great book club, club novel because even if you're mm. rolling your eyes and don't maybe relish, maybe if it's not the most enjoyable, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Overdo the book club podcast.
1: It gets a little bit to the. To I think all of our reaction to the novel and what seems to be kind of the general reaction from anybody who isn't like, oh my god, this is my favorite book, um, mm-hmm. is that the the political nature of the book sort of feels like it wants to be a more serious, like it it wants to pull the the book in a more serious direction than Green wants it to live in, like he wants to hang out in this entertainment zone, and it is maybe undercutting some more serious points that he could be making so then and what you were saying of the like well what if we all just like lived for love and stuff because the book is really not interested in any characters like interiority i don't really know where that comes from and and i don't know what to feel about it because as you said like everybody in this book is sort of sus so like <laughs> what what about this book is supposed to is a lampoon and what is what of this book? Am I supposed to take like really seriously as an argument from Green? Like I read that thing yeah, about that's, like personal mm-hmm. personal motivations for doing things in the world as opposed to you know allegiances to a power that will change ten years from now and won't be interested in you reciprocally. Like that's a compelling argument, but it's being made by like cardboard people who sell vacuums <laughs> uh, and. I don't know. I don't know how seriously the book is treating those those that's points. A, yeah, that, that's a, that's is a good point. A critique. Is, Green.
0: Yeah. Wait, I wanted to call him Graham and Green at the same time. <laughs> yeah, Green. That's a critique he had of his own work. So that's sure. really interesting. Yeah, the, the the thing that feels a little like <laughs> ugh, to you, like it seemed to feel that way to him too after it was written yeah. and people started reading it and talking about it. Is it? Yeah. So-
1: Maybe it's just because I heard this song on the radio a bunch in the last few weeks. I think it's maybe it's a little bit like Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, where that that song (laughs) is actually a critique of our U.S. of A. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. just love the part where they get to yell Born in the USA. And what, what what part of this is the critique and what part of it is the earnest sentiment can get a little lost in the thriller-ish yeah. you know the thriller elements and the and the comic elements um I, yeah. I i struggle that i struggle myself when i'm reading satire in that way because i'm yeah. i sometimes don't know what the author wants to let me in on yeah um,
0: okay that's your scholarly inquiry is yeah. our man in havana
1: a protest song <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah i don't know wait i was being um, serious no, i was being no serious i think, in that voice. No, I but, think yeah. you're right i think you're right um so yeah, that's I think that's our man in Havana. I think we did it. Uh,
0: we we have left out one crucial piece of information.
1: Oh please, okay.
0: Y'all, this became a musical. Like it just did. back in April, it debuted. <laughs> you I right. like I like to read reviews of British literature, especially classic British literature, in the Guardian. So I googled like "Our Man mm-hmm. in Havana," the Guardian, and just could not believe what I found. I watched I watched <laughs> some of the songs. Mm-hmm. Yes, heard Millie and Wormold belt out their ballads. I was not what I was expecting the internet to serve up because I think I think the
2: the movie and I don't I don't know about the other adaptations but I would bet that they do I think I think the movie clarified some of the issues we've been talking about a little bit by leaning more into the farcical elements yeah I read that too
1: yeah and Green wrote that hopping off of that he did yeah and
2: like hopping off that fence between. Well, is this a bunch of dum dums doing dum dum stuff, or is it people trying to make serious points about about like the nature of the world that we live yeah.
1: in? Yeah, well, yeah. And it was made. Um, a, it was made into an opera in '63, and then there was a there was a play. I didn't listen to any of those songs. <laughs> I didn't listen to There was an a opera. play in 2007, and then and then yeah, there was this recent musical, which I I think I saw that same review, Anne, and they also like noted the. Uh, governments investigating weapons that may or may not exist you know resonance um mm-hmm. and they also named Can't it like, one of the <laughs> one of the songs is like named after a john le, john le Car book or something like that it's some interesting stuff that they were doing yeah. um i guess i'll have to go listen to that now it was
0: really interesting work. to me how this novel seemed to inherently like embody like the literary relationship. Oh my gosh, there's so many better words for this. Like this novel stands like in the literary tradition. It's channeling so many works that came before it and so many writers. Like you said, "Look, Corrie," which is what made me think of this. Yeah. Um like Lucarei wrote a whole novel that's an homage to one of Graham Greene's. Like it's just mm-hmm. interesting how no matter what you think of this book, it is really important in the literary canon.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it being this little microcosm of history right on the precipice of the Cuban revolution and things like that also makes it an interesting, like fulcrum point to think about when you're talking about historical fiction mm-hmm. or think, which it wasn't historical fiction. He wrote it very contemporaneously. Um, but you, that's, that was certainly my experience reading it now is I'm like, I'm bringing, you know, 50, 60 years of history and knowledge back to the reading experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, it just makes it a, a, a probably a different read than Green could ever have intended, which is yeah. just
2: well, and he, you know. even you know, we talked about our, our earlier about, about how the, the bad review that Fidel Castro yeah. gave <laughs> the book. Like, it's even at the time, like the choices that Green made and what to focus on and on what he was lampooning and what he was sort of ignoring, like people were already, yeah, interpreting it through a really like varied lens based on where they were coming from. And now we're coming back to it with more, you know, more knowledge of, of what the Castro regime was like and, and more knowledge of how <laughs> intelligence agencies have, have yeah. changed. And, and yeah, it's just layers and layers and layers.
0: So Craig and Andrew, are y'all going to read more Graham green after this? I mean, like ever probably.
2: Yeah.
1: I would be interested to know, like <laughs> the end, a, of the,
2: he's out there. The end know? of the
1: affair sounded interesting. And I would also be, you know, if not that, then one of the ones that is more explicitly considered, like, his serious Catholic works. Like, what? Mm-hmm. what is that relative to a book like this? I have no idea. You yeah, know, so. I kept yeah. being reminded
0: it's, in reading about this one that The Power and the Glory is largely considered to be his best. Mm. I don't know anything about that one yet. I know nothing about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it. But, yeah, like,
2: it's the, the writing of the book. Like, we talked earlier about all the... the one-liners and and just the (laughs) The the way that words are literally put together into the yeah (laughs) um like all that stuff was great yeah i would be interested to read the same voice doing something that was maybe taking a little bit more care with with character and and plotting and Mm -hmm. trying like just doing something a little less silly i i bet it's still funny even when he is you know, trying to be capital S serious about, yeah. about his capital L literature. <laughs> so, yeah, like in that, in that sense, it did whet my appetite for more Graham Greene.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Graham Greene, the writer with like all the interiorization you felt like was missing from this one.
2: He began to realize what the criminal class knows so well, the impossibility of explaining anything to a man with power.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was a good one. I, I want a book that's living in that voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm, from yeah. the same guy. Um,
2: uh, wormold looked at the champagne bottle and at captain segura's head he was sorely tempted to bring them together <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah you get you okay, get I'm, you I'm know done. you get the good you get the bad you get the facts of life Um mm-hmm. and thanks so much for joining us for this book
0: My pleasure thanks for having me on
1: Um and again remind us where folks can find your stuff
0: You can listen to what should I read next wherever you listen to overdue Um it's Ann Bogle, and with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Nobody else Americanized it that way, so I'm really easy to find. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And my blog is modernmrsdarcy.com. Has Excellent. links to all the things. Thanks yeah. for having me on. It's fun to be together again.
1: Yeah, this is yeah. great. It was like, yeah. as we started, I was like, oh, we just did this, which is not true, but I felt <laughs> like getting right back on a fun bike. Uh, you it. can f- find anything about overdue. Um, You can send us an... I'll, Andrew will tell you the website in a second. I'm all I sure I'm will. all topsy-turvy over here. Um, <laughs> Send us an email about what you would sell that would get you recruited by MI6 um, at OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter with your best fronts for an MI6 operation at OverduePod. Our theme song was composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show. Where do they go? I
0: feel
2: like the modern version for me would be like... A boost mobile, yes, store. <laughs> like like, like yes. some kind of like second tier cricket phone. wireless at the mall,
1: yes, <laughs> yes, right. <laughs>
2: the piercing pagoda is the front for <laughs> for the spy. Can offering. I
0: sell like books by the yard that can really hide like all the stuff that you need to keep secret from your yes. friends and enemies? I love it. Ooh, Neighbors, yeah, and spies. you can.
2: Like, how thick do you need the book to be to hollow out to put in the secret? I can't tell like, you. This is my secret. Trying to
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: right. <laughs> uh, OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. You can click those, which will take you to bookshop.org. You buy a book there, we get a cut. And your local independent bookseller gets cut and you get a book. So everybody wins. Uh, Patreon.com slash OverduePod is our Patreon project. Support the show directly. Uh, Pay for hosting, books, equipment. Get bonus episodes early. Join our uh, Discord community uh having some good uh art and artist discussions in there i know it feels weird to think that there could be a good version of that discussion (laughs) 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 because it's been covered so many times by so many people but yeah it's it's it is a lot of fun in there uh thank you again Anne, for coming and joining us and talking about this book
0: thanks for
2: having me uh and everyone at home until we talk to you next week please try to be happy
1: a head podcast.